2: All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and we are celebrating a huge milestone this week. We have reached 1,000 episodes. That's right, 1,000 episodes of Talk is Jericho. That's pretty monumental. It's been an incredible run filled with so many amazing shows and guests and laughs and topics and tears and everything in between. Uh, We started this pod December of 2013. How crazy is that? Almost 10 years and 1,000 episodes Something to be very proud of, and thanks to all of you who have listened to one or 1,000 of said episodes, but I wanted to bring out some big guns, big A-name celebs this week. It is Talk is Jericho, episode 1,000 week, and today it's episode 999, which is essentially 1,000 A, shall we say. Here he is, the great and very funny Howie Mandel returns to Talk is Jericho, Even though both of us forgot that he had been on before. And this time he's in person. I had a chance to go to LA to meet up with Howie in his studio. And as you're about to hear, he told some incredible stories about doing the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, the first time he ever did the Tonight Show when Joan Rivers was guest hosting. He tells the story about finally getting on with Carson, and he made 22 appearances and shares the details about the appearance with Johnny that got him banned. From the Tonight Show. That is a true story. Johnny Carson banned Howie Mandel from the Tonight Show. Howie's also very into AI, artificial intelligence. He explains the moves he's made lately to preserve his image and speech for future generations. He's got a hologram of himself. Yes, he's putting that hologram to work. He explains that too. He talks about some of his most popular bits, how he became huge in stand-up, and how he was down and out when deal or no deal came along and how it completely resurrected his career he was so embarrassed when deal or no deal came out that he didn't even want to watch the uh, premiere he flew out of the country but it became huge for Howie which led to him of course being on America's Got Talent which led to him being on Talk is Jericho on episode 1000 week we're celebrating 1000 episodes of Talk is Jericho starting here right now today with the legendary amazing and very funny fellow Canadian Howie Mandel starting now Thumbs up The thumbs are up in the control room and for the first time in almost 10 years that I've been doing this podcast I have Howie Mandel with me Long time coming
3: What what an honor to be here in like the first 10 years (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, I. I think about ten years ago, I said I, I was listening to your podcast, right. and I thought, oh my god, he's got a podcast. Mm-hmm. He's a wrestler. He's a singer, and he's a fellow Canadian, right? And I can't wait for him to call me. Yeah, and here I am,
2: no brainer. Ten but, years. But here's the funniest thing that I just remembered right now. <laughs> what? I think the same thing happened to us when we did your show about a year ago. You have done Talk as Jericho before. I just remember that right now. Such a memorable appearance. That we both forget it. We both forget it because here's the story. So we met, uh, you were doing the show, that, the Hidden Camera Show, and it was with Theo Vaughn yes, he, before, right. he, before he broke. Right. And we would we would tell people what to do and they would do it. And we met briefly there and somehow we connected to do my podcast, but it was over the phone. So this is the that's first... Why we don't remember ...in person it. that we've ever... Heard right, that. right, right. So uh, you, you have me here uh, in your studio. It's a, it's an amazing place. Right. Um, and you showed me kind of some of the cool things that, you, that, you've, that you've built in it. You obviously use this for the recording of your show and your podcast and stuff. But the one thing, just to kind of kick it off, you're really telling me about this hologram technology.
3: So I am... I'm into technology. I yeah. mean, that's my... Jam when I'm not when you don't see me doing stand up or AGT or whatever you're seeing me do. I am fascinated by technology, and I happen to be um, scrolling through Instagram in the midst of COVID, and I saw this company called Proto. And check it out on, on Instagram if you're listening to this. Proto hologram. And this guy, David Nussbaum invented, he was, he was involved in, uh, I think everybody's aware of, uh, the Tupac, mm-hmm. uh, appearance at Coachella. Right. Remember that? A couple yeah, of years. yeah, yeah. So, so they, they, they were involved. Uh, so we all know about those kind of holograms and those kind of holograms, but you, it, it takes a, that's a big, big rig and a big setup and it has to be done at night and under certain lighting and it's gotta be dark. And, and I, and I, I went through the, I was just scrolling through Instagram and I saw this proto hologram box and it's this box, this full size box that also, there is a smaller one called an M, but it says there's this full size box where you can beam yourself anywhere at any time. And it's really easy and you could do it even on your side. If you don't have this hologram, the thing that receives it, You, you can do it with your iPhone. Hmm. And I saw this and I I, uh, slid into his DMs (laughs) and I said, this technology is amazing. I don't know what I'm offering, but can I be part of it? I'll be your content. I'll be your, because for me as a uh, world renowned germaphobe, if I could go places without going places, if I could talk to people without being in the room with people, I'm enjoying this, Jared. We have a glass plate between us right now. <laughs> but but you know this was like, and and not only that, the the ability to be in many places at the same time, I find that fascinating. And he texted me back directly. He didn't believe it was me, and then I when I confirmed it was me. He said, sure. You know, and, and it turns out he was in Pasadena and I said, where, you know, I said, do you want me, you could record me. I can, can I play with the, uh, the technology and it was just getting investors and it was like, Hmm. I, I caught it right at the beginning and I just said, I love it. I ended up investing in it. I ended up um, they were. They wanted to expand the space that they were in, so the, their head office is now here. Oh, in, okay. in my this is their head office. But I mean, it's in everywhere. You know, they it's in uh, London and Asia and India and the South Pacific and Australia, and it, it's every. It's like spreading all over the world. It's an amazing mechanism where people. I can. Live beam myself in 3D images. It's like uh, FaceTime or Zoom on steroids. As we sit here in my, uh, this is my podcast studio. I have one in front of me. So if somebody, see, if you were in Tampa, you could sit in your house you don't need one of these you could sit in your house with your iphone i can see you sitting there in oh, full 3d wow. you could talk to me and see me there's a there's a camera in there uh-huh. there's a microphone so it it comes right back at you so people are doing concerts you know uh p diddy launched his um tequila brand off of it, where they had one of these in uh, Miami, in D.C., and in Atlanta, and he was doing shots from his house in Malibu oh, wow. on Cinco de Mayo with everybody. They're partners with, like, Christie's. They did, they're did. they now selling art on this because instead of um, flying like really expensive art all over the world to get people to buy it or to see it. Mm -hmm. They they can see it in full, in 360 right here on this. They've done over $1.5 billion in art sales. It's in, you know, places like Walmart. And it's just, it's just exploding. And uh, artists are taking it on the road. Like I can't, I'm not allowed, they sign the NDAs. Gotcha. But it's on, it's on the road with some people. And if you wanted to have, I know that, Kiss was in here the other day, and they said that Lenny Kravitz won, was going to do some concerts with him, but he didn't want to leave New York. He could play live on this, <laughs> on stage, live wow. in real time. You it know, changes the game. It for changes the game everywhere. So I can play a theater live, and I could have these boxes in twenty other theaters and play twenty theaters in the same night without getting on a plane. And they could see me, and I could see them. And interact in real time. It's mm. and it's it's three dimensional. So, I love technology, and I love technology that makes our life easier.
2: easier. Well, you said especially as a, a world renowned germaphobe, um, that's something that's interesting to me, especially being in show business, because everybody wants to shake your hand.
3: So Chris Brown, so this would okay. Chris Brown has this on the road right now. And this is how he's doing his meet and greets. Uh-huh. And it's, I think it's in his merch uh, place. But it sounds like it's a bit of a cop-out. It really isn't. People are enjoying... It is Chris Brown. He's there. He sees you. He'll talk to you. You can stand right up to it. And I defy you if you take a, a selfie. Like, I've done it, too, where I, I beamed myself to uh, Montreal. I just did a concert. I did something in, uh, in Europe, a meeting, a, a conference... People take selfies with you. I defy you to know that that selfie, that I wasn't, that I'm not in the room. And I feel like when I'm talking from this side to them, that I am in the room. Mm -hmm. The only difference is smell. How do you mean? Well when you're in the room with somebody there's a, obviously there would be a smell right oh, whatever right. that smell is right. <laughs> yeah. wherever you are it's that smell right so i don't care if you're cooking or wherever wherever i'm beaming it just smells like where i am mm. i can't smell people through a hologram right and i don't want to <laughs> i don't know if you ever really- people in general but you can have like a qr code on there so people can scan it you could you know drop your next album Mm -hmm. you know people are downloading or streaming your music sure all the information we're using it for telehealth (laughs) you know doctors are doing conferences and teaching and also the whole screen you can manipulate it with your hands so i saw doctors in here the other day doing things where you can see the organs and imaging in 3d and they can scan it and move it around it's like a giant ipad so, and this is like a pop-up store for anybody. So uh, the people wrap it, you know, in the box. So it's like Citibank Presents or whoever your sponsor is. And that could be in the middle of Times Square or Piccadilly Square. The stadiums are now buying them for their mm. sports teams to do meet and greets and contests. And so I'm not here, I'm not selling it, but I'm, I'm sold on it. And I happen to be an investor, but, but I, more importantly, I just think this is the future. I embrace it all. I get in trouble sometimes. My wife is mad at me now because I I licensed my image to an AI company. Hmm. Wow. Okay. How do you feel about that? About AI?
2: Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me because um, there's always going to be a human element that makes things real. You know what I mean? Like when I hear the, oh, here's here's a uh, Freddie Mercury singing beat it. You know, and it sounds just like Freddie Mercury singing Beat It, but it's not quite the same. It's just there's a little bit missing human element to it. Right. But the AI seems the technology of it would be very technically helpful
3: as long as you don't let it go out of control. But I think that of everything, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure when they invented the wheel, you know, people Mm. thought, well, this is dangerous, you know, it's so much easier just to... Con- we can control yeah, a just horse. Just walk. Yeah, yeah, right, right, we yeah. can walk. We can control a horse. Uh, people are going to lose their jobs. The blacksmiths are not going to be uh, shoeing. And then is it dangerous to put human beings in many tons of steel flying around freeways all the time? You know, that's it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Just like the World Wide Web was pretty dangerous. There's people that have access to information now that and, and can hack into information that is not their business and can manipulate the information as they're doing, you know, and it's Mm. a big part of it. We can't stop this. So I think that we need to embrace it and control it, control it. Right. But can you
2: control it? That's the thing. Like I'm starting to think, is this leading us to Skynet era? You know, Skynet time is a Terminator where the, the computers themselves, the AI will make more programs that get so involved that only the computers can un, lock them
3: and start setting off bombs or whatever it may be you know what Maybe, I mean. but you know what until there's so many scary things about what we're doing and take it even away from technology well it's still technology but you know we found ways to preserve food well these preservatives uh, can give you cancer and right. they can give you and kill off the human race you know like uh, everything everything that moves forward has a dark side so we just have to try to be as responsible as we possibly can try to be as knowledgeable as we can because ignorance will be the end of us kind of you know even now with ai we have to be able to prompt it and figure out what we want to use it for will people use it for bad yes but people use photoshop for bad sure you know and we're seeing things and and getting news that isn't real and based on everybody and all of us have facts and I'm not even talking about political, but I am talking about it doesn't matter what side. You don't know what's real. You really don't. And we have, and they have, and everybody has the technology to kind of bend your reality. So this is all part of it. So I'm, uh, you know, uh, we could... speak up against it, we can say I'm afraid of it, we could talk about end times and say this is gonna be the end of it, (laughs) or we can enjoy this one life that we're given, which is an incredibly short span in the scheme of things, and say, all right, so this is brilliant, and I'm gonna find ways to make it work for me, and I'm going to kind of be a cheerleader for responsible,
0: So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
2: So you sold your your likeness to to AI. Yeah. And what would be the, the end, like, what would you do, what would they do with it?
3: With uh, they, or hopefully us. But oh, you sold I, it to yourself? No, 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 oh. no. But it is they. It is a, a Korean company. They okay. have the ability to. They, I, we, we can't put, throw it up there now, can we? No, we don't have. You don't have it. It looks like me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If I if I saw it on a video or whatever, I would not know it wasn't. I wouldn't know. Wow, it wasn't me. And then you can program it to say and sound. Just like you like me and to say things that I might say, but you could also program it to say things that I wouldn't say, which is the scary thing. Right. But what I said is I said to my wife, I said, this is what is happening. So we being people like you and me are for all intents and purposes. We're IP, Mm -hmm. you know, And if you can license, if you can maintain, and supposedly the paperwork says so, if you can maintain control of your image and at the same time license out your image to be doing something right now while you're here doing this with me, that makes you a little more productive like I, do you have do you have uh, sponsors on this podcast? Of course. Okay, and you you do the ad reads, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. Well, what if uh, Chris Jericho? I, what do we call the thing? What if the, the, the that's not Chris Jericho, but it is your image? I guess
2: maybe the doppelganger or the clone or the AI. So what AI if I t-
3: what if I typed in the ad and they replicated your voice and your likeness and that read the ad?
2: I mean, it'd be. Incredible, but why wouldn't I just read the ad? Because you could be doing something at
3: the same ah, time. I see, so I could do kind of more of your busy work, it, right? But, but and I'm just clone saying you, in a good way, yeah. It, it, but it is a good way. The point is, it's you know, we, there. It, why don't you just write a letter in longhand, go to the post office, <laughs> and mail it, right? You know, where you can send out a mass email to a bunch of people. You know, it's the same thing. Technology. You got to figure out why you need it and why I know that it could be bad. I know mm-hmm. that somebody else could have control of it. It could read something or somebody can be of the mindset. Well, we're paying Chris Jericho to read this and I'm not getting him. Mm-hmm. It's the glass is half full of the glass is half empty, but I think that you would like it. That's the idea for me. I mean, that's the idea. And also because I know that our existence is finite, our personal existence. But my family will have still whatever this IP to be able to do whatever. That's interesting. You know, so it's like, for me, it was, (laughs) I'm in my late 60s. Right. I did it really. She's mad at me because she thinks she's afraid of it. Mm. But I did it because I'm hoping that responsible family members can use it later on. And when are you going to get the opportunity to, it's really interesting
2: because you hear right now that bands and, you know, artists are selling their song catalog. Like, you know, Neil Young sold his catalog for $500 million and Dylan sold it for, you know, $200 million or whatever it is. This is you selling the basic catalog of Howie Mandel. So that when, when, when those guys pass away, that the rights to the songs are taken care of. And when you go to the next place, your rights as Howie Mandel as a celebrity, whatever are protected.
3: Right, and by in a smaller kind of example, they've sold their catalog, so that music, which is already pre-recorded, can be used in a negative way. What if that music ended up being the theme song to, you know, a political movement that they didn't personally agree with? Right. But now they don't have control over that; they don't yep. own their own stuff. So, by the same token, I mean that's a smaller example. Of you know, the fear my wife and many people have about AI is that it could be used for negative or something that you're not in line with, but it can also be used for good.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, once again, I mean you have such an expansive career that they could hit upon modern Howie, old Howie, you know, original Howie
3: glove over the head, Howie, like you could do all those different eras too, right? Right. And you and you exist for in perpetuity forever, doing whatever it is, as long as Listen, I do fear that things can be you know, like you don't even know though I trust you, but you don't know when you do these even when you do a podcast. You know, everything that is laid down on tape, you can cut this and make this you can yeah. make this a cancelable moment, right? I can edit it together however I wanted to. If I however had, yeah. you wanted to, you could change the question mm-hmm. so that this answer has I'm nothing right. to do with you know. So you have to have faith or trust or some you know kind of sense of control. Otherwise, everything mm-hmm. could be turned against you. Everything, mm-hmm. your own words, your own images, your own appearances, your own. It doesn't matter. You know, nothing is as it seems or nothing has to be as it seems. We have the technology to change absolutely everything. And that's uh, AI is one step further. But that's where we're headed. It's not a surprise. And it's here.
2: Be ahead of the curve rather than be behind it.
3: I just want to be on it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask you about this. Uh, I mentioned the the glove. I remember when I was a kid, my dad was like, you got to see this guy. He's so hilarious. And, and you got to watch this. And I grew up in Winnipeg. Uh-huh. A Canadian guy, tr- tr- Toronto side, wherever it may be. And the, the glove over the nose. I just have to know for my dad's sake, where did that gag come from? Because he thought that was the funniest thing. And every time, Harry Mendel's on and see News, the glove. And- so
3: that's an accident. And most of my career and everything I do is is an accident. So I, in the mid-70s or late, the mid-70s, well, April 19th, 1977, Went to Yuck Yucks, which is a Canadian uh, comedy club, was the Canadian comedy club. And I was not a kid. um, I I didn't go to clubs like I didn't go in the 70s. Disco was big. You know, Mm you hear of Studio 54 and things. I never did that. I wasn't a dancer. I didn't really drink, so I didn't go to bars. Um, I wasn't into sports, so I didn't show up at a Y with a bunch of people like a couple times a week to play basketball or I wasn't in any leagues. I didn't uh, gamble, so I didn't have a poker game. I had nothing, you know? So. Uh, They opened up this club in in Canada, and it was stand-up comedy. And it was at the – comedy was just burgeoning there. It was just starting to, like, explode. The comedy store Mm -hmm. down here and Catch a Rising Star in New York was just growing, and they opened up the club in Toronto. There was clubs, I think, opening up in every city. I'd never gone and saw stand-up live. It wasn't even a thing that existed before then. There was no such thing as a stand-up comedy club. right, right. So I go one night uh, and, and it's, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty electric because we'd never seen that. And now you're seeing, you know, somebody your age on stage and, you know, this is a time where the three networks existed, you know, and then local TV just to hear somebody's uh, using raw language like real language in a room and talking about really it was just like I never saw anything like this it was a, it became the new rock and roll but it was the you know up until there rock and roll was kind of the uh the freedom of expression and uh that's where people got their messages you know after Woodstock and how to live and you know the, even protesting Wars and talking about things was music. This was the the beginning of comedy was coming to the forefront. Right, to go backseat, yeah. To people like Carlin and Richard Pryor. And these people were just growing and becoming huge on television and superstars and making movies. And so uh, I went to see it, and it was amazing. And uh, Mark Breslin, who is the owner of the club, And he was the MC. said, you know, and if you think you could do something like this at the end of the show, you know, Monday at midnight, you know, you get a chance. You could try it for three (laughs) minutes. And somebody at my table went, you should go up. I went, okay. And I always do that. I always say yes to everything. I'm I'm so afraid to say no, that I'll miss out on something. And I didn't give it any thought. And that's how I kind of, I, I didn't prepare. I never, I didn't aspire to be a comedian. I didn't think there was any uh, future in show business let alone stand up comedy I don't know anybody in the in my life or in Toronto that was in it but I uh I thought the joke was my friends would show up on Monday night, they'd be in the audience and somebody would go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And that would be the joke. (laughs) You know, that was, there's no reason for anybody to say ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. It's just like, uh, I sell carpet, you know, there's no reason. There's no reason. And that's kind of funny. And then I, you know, it's not like I'm sitting down and writing an act and hoping I get, I did nothing, nothing. So, um, that, moment comes and I'm in that back hallway and Mark Breslin goes, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And then I think it's, you know, it's just um, understood that after you hear ladies and gentlemen, da, 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 as an audience, you applaud. I don't understand why we're so, gr- we are gracious, but why are you applauding somebody showing up? You know, they just, they just stepped into the room and we're going, yay, yay. But, but what I didn't realize from being on that side and not being, that adds a pressure. So what happens is they go, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. I hear the applause. I walk out on stage and I take a stance, you know, like just like, here I am. And that's all I had. And then I've never been on stage before. And the spotlights are burning holes in my retina. Like I've never been that with, it's like, you know, like when you get pulled over by a cop and he sticks the flashlight in your, in your eyes, you know, and I looked down and I could see the mic. I could see the foam on the end of the mic. And then when I looked down, I could see the front row. And the applause had died down, and then there's nobody that looks familiar, no face that I know, just looking up at me like, okay, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do? And that was like, a night that got embarrassing. It just, it was embarrassed. I was just embarrassed. And that was the biggest emotion that I can remember today. And then I thought, oh shit, I'm now in front of strangers. So if you look at my old videos, it's just fear. And I started going, I, I, I better come up with something. I, I, okay, 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 okay. And, and I was just so scared. And I'm going, all right, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. And because I was going, wait, 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 and so nervous, people started giggling. And then when they were giggling, I didn't really understand why they were giggling. So I go, okay, what, 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 what? No, tell me, tell me. Why is so funny? Why, why, why are you laughing? <laughs> come on, please don't laugh, please. Okay, uh, and then and then I put my hands in my pocket because I was just uncomfortable, and I carry rubber gloves. I've always carried rubber gloves because I have OCD, and if I'm out in public and I'm gonna go to a public restroom, I didn't want to touch anything, so I had a rubber glove so I'm going okay okay, and I put my hands in my pocket and I pull out the rubber glove and I didn't know what to do and I, I pull it over my head and uh, just down over my nose and I start breathing and the <laughs> I guess the fingers are going up and down the fingers are going and I hear the audience laughing, they're laughing because I'm breathing. I didn't know what was <laughs> going on and I can. so then I, I just blew it. I continued to blow out of my nose until I popped it and it popped off my head. And the audience roared like, <laughs> yay. And I went, good night. <laughs> I was smart enough to know that <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's an exit. I went, good night. And then in the hallway, um, Breslin said, Mark Breslin said, that's amazing. You gotta come back tomorrow. And I go, well, what am I gonna do tomorrow? He goes, do the same thing. I go, what the f- did I do? <laughs> and uh, from that, that was April 19th, 1977 i um i still didn't aspire to make this a living but it was the first time you know i was a pariah in school i was um undiagnosed as adhd and ocd and anxiety and all these other things it was the first time i felt like a bunch of strangers like liked me Mm -hmm. embraced me were excited to have me there and from that night on even if i and i say this in all seriousness i don't care if i was a you know in the service business, if I was a waiter today, I would be just as happy if twice or three times a week I could go on stage and just be, I've been trying to get that warm kind of blanket of laughter from strangers every moment of my life since that moment. I never I never had that before. And I've been chasing that ever since. And I I look forward to every time that I can get on stage at Yak Yuck Yaks. And and the truth of the matter was that Yak Yuck Yaks, because I was there and hanging out, I was meeting people just because I was there. Yeah. And I met people like you know Jay Leno who came through town and and Mike Binder who's a very prolific uh, writer and uh, director. He came through town. and A bunch of people. Robin Williams. And I went out to California on a vacation and I called those people because I knew that they were comedians. And Mike got me in at the comedy store and I went to the comedy store with no aspiration, just a fun thing to do on a vacation. I was still working sure. and engaged to be married. And uh, Mitzi saw me and made me a regular and a guy in the audience who was uh, producing a comedy game show called Make Me Laugh saw me and said, you interested in coming down to the studio and doing a couple episodes? And I did. And I went back home and um, I was working and uh, Merv Griffin called and Mike Douglas called. I did the Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas show, which are old talk of course, shows. Of course. I flew back and forth and did that. And then uh, Gene Simmons of Kiss and Kiss was at their height. Sure, um, phoned me. He had seen me on uh, on Merv Griffin and he said it was really funny. Would you do? Would you? be willing to open up for my girlfriend's act so i said oh okay Who, who's your girlfriend and diana ross he was living <laughs> with diana ross and i became her opening act no kidding absolutely wow because that's what those singer those types of singers used to have the opening act of a comedian i did it at, Caesar, at caesar's palace yes so i i was his i was her opening act and and you know everything i just fell into everything i've and continued to fall into right. everything right and it's just about being open the same way as I am for technology, for whatever opportunities. You know, I think life opens a lot of doors yeah. for people. You just have
2: to keep your eyes open.
3: They are. You know, you're a, you're a perfect example of that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. really, really, what are the, the odds of people like you grew up with in Winnipeg and you know, doing what you do, living how you live. Right. And you know we go. I, I've listened to. I used to listen to radio. I don't listen to radio anymore. I kind of just stream music. But but you know there was. I've talked about this many times. But Hump Day. You've heard of that in in the radio business. Hump Day is Wednesday. Wednesday. Right? Yeah. Wednesday. What, what is the connotation of that? The connotation is we're climbing this shitty hill. <laughs> we're halfway through this hill because most people wake up in the morning doing shit they don't want to do. They just maybe it pays the rent or maybe they're forced to do it, and then they get to the weekend where they just don't do what they hate. But no, most people, you, people like you and me, are few and far between where you're kind of excited about getting up in the morning and doing something. Right. And, I, and I always say that it, somebody in their life, and it's not about making a living or having notoriety. You just got to find one thing that you're passionate about. And so many people don't have that. So many people are living kind of miserably if they thought maybe they don't even think about it. But they're not excited about something that's going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They're not excited about what ha- will happen today. And you know, like even today, waking up and knowing that you were going to come here and and just have it. This is this is the kind of thing you got out of class for, right? Right? Yeah, this yeah. is like this is a cool thing.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal And when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
2: We're on tour right now with, with my band. So I was in San Diego. I flew to Atlanta yesterday and the show we were supposed to have tonight got cancelled. So I had an open day. I was like, let me see if Howie's available, which you were. Yeah. So I flew here last night and then tomorrow I gotta go to Fort Myers. But the flight's okay. It's the fact that I'm going to LA to talk to Howie Mandel. Like it's much better than having a day off sitting in a on the tour bus in a parking lot somewhere. You know? But
3: but see, listen but what your life is if you really think of eight year old you mm-hmm. and you go and you just gave me that schedule. And not only the schedule, but what you're doing, you're playing in a f- rock band. Right. <laughs> you know, you're playing in a f- rock band. And then you fly to LA and you talk to somebody. And then you fly back and you do a, a, a TV appearance. Mm-hmm. And then you, it's so, it's like, and you don't have to, uh, you know, I think people listening go, well, that's good for you, but I can't do a TV appearance. But, but the point is, there is, I don't care if it's your yes. stamp collection. Yeah. You know? or if there's a movie opening this week that you want to see just something to look forward to and too many people just live each day just like I got to do this I got to do that I got to do this I can't wait till I don't have to do that I think you got to find I didn't find it I I mean I'm a big talker I never said I wanted to do stand up comedy but I was lucky enough to be in the to kind of recognize in the moment like the truth is that when I was at that place, when somebody said, you should get up on stage, I think the, the normal answer would have been no. Yeah, no way. Why <laughs> would I get on stage? I don't wanna be a comedian. I'm not a comedian. I've never aspired to be a comedian. I'm gonna make a fool of myself. Why would I do it? And there's no, there's no upside to more than just being embarrassed in the moment. Right? Right. Really, if, you, if sure. you, and I think the biggest downfall to humanity is thinking. I think when we think, rather than, I like Nike who says, just do it. Just do it. And you could think about what you did, and maybe you won't do it again, but don't think about what you might do. Right. Just do it. Just mm-hmm. go for it. Right. You know, I think like you, I think you're an inspiration because even you went for it and you went for wrestling, and but you're interested in music and you just go for it. And you just go for whatever you do. You want to do a podcast? You do it. You just do it. A lot of people would say, well, I got one job. I got one. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I do. Yeah.
2: We, I, I have ahead. a saying that no is a four-letter word. People accept no so easily, like, like, like a curse word. It's a bad word. Can we do this? No, you can't. There's always
3: a way to make it work. Always. You See, just have to find it. My thing on no is no is N-O, which are the first two letters in the word nothing. And nothing comes from No. Right, And even when, you know, I say yes to just about everything and everything in life without, as soon as you think it, I think as human beings, we, we have instinct. And then, you know what I'd like to do, but I better not do that because, and then we all live with shoulda, coulda, woulda. And if we just do it, we can make mistakes. We can learn from our mistakes. We just got to go for it. And just go for it in the moment. I don't think you need to think about the future. I, I, I don't even think you have to think about what your goal is. I'm not a goal-driven person. You know, the goal is, and everybody who achieves any sort of goal will tell you that the best thing was the journey. Mm-hmm. You know? And the journey is you got to take one, you know, if you take one step, you take that step. And then you you say, oh, that was fun. I'm going to take another step. And then if you say, that's fun, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to take another step. You find you're in a different place and that's the only way to move. But if you're focusing on a goal or an end game, then you're really, that's kind of negative because you're not there, you know? And I'm kind of always celebrating where I am and what I'm doing right yes. at this moment and try to be the best at what I'm doing in this moment instead of my mind going well if i do this i hope this gets me that Mm -hmm. and then you're thinking outside of yourself because you're you're not present and being present i think everybody in life unless something unlucky happens is where they put themselves i think we can all put ourselves where we need to be
1: yeah i agree with that a thousand percent for sure do you want a beautiful lawn I want to go back
2: just to, to your stand up base quickly. I'm a huge Johnny Carson fan. Tell me some, some Carson tales from when you did the show. Cause you were on quite a bit.
3: So I was not Carson when, when I was, you know, those are the, those are the front row, you know, really
2: that? right here. How he's got three seats here. The front row of the studio in burbank
3: yeah wow <laughs> carson every show he ever did out here in hollywood was in front of that and this light shone down on his desk this oh is wow he sp- from nbc wow and i have the background of it so when i was starting in comedy the litmus test for being a comedian was the johnny carson show mm-hmm. it meant there isn't a show there isn't a place that does that anymore where right before the johnny carson it was ed sullivan you know i think that's why the beatles took off that's why elvis took off because everybody gathered around their tv and that's when they came to america they did the ed sullivan show after that on a much smaller scale but nationally not internationally carson and when you used to be if if you were in the street and somebody didn't know you and said, what do you do for a living? And you said, I'm a comedian. They would, it doesn't matter who they were, they would go, well, you've ever been on Johnny Carson? And if you couldn't say yes, in their mind, you were trying to be a comedian. That also with the fact that when you were on the Johnny Carson show, your life changed the next day. Everybody saw you, your recognition went up, you got an incredible amount of offers to do things. And you know, uh, Freddie Prinze was on one night and he did great, and then uh, that became Chico and the Man. And that was the start of every comedian that did well on The Tonight Show ended up getting their sitcoms. Sitcom, uh, yeah. You know, so then that was uh, every, everybody that you know of all the big sitcoms of their day, you know, right up until Seinfeld, who did really sure, good on The Tonight course. Show. And that came out of The Tonight Show, The Seinfeld Show. Mm. Rick Ludwin, who championed it for NBC, was the head of Late Night and saw him on oh. The Tonight Show. So my only goal once i said okay this is what i want to try i'm down here this is what i want to do my only goal was to be on the tonight show anybody who was anybody who was a comedian and i would audition like i'd have his name was jim mccauley was the booker and i would have him come down to the comedy store and see me and he consistently said no not only no you will never be on the tonight show (laughs) because you're not Johnny's cup of tea, you know, listen, they wanted to serve Johnny. They said Johnny likes monologists, you know, straight up like George Carlin. I was at that time a big prop comic. I was, uh, you know, voices, just silly. yeah, Just silly and props and not what he saw Johnny, uh, you know. And you know, those guys on those shows, they would get the accolades, you know, even though if a comic went on and got a standing ovation and then you'd go home, you know, Johnny would go up to the booker and go, that was a good one, man, Uh, you killed it. And I realized that because I had a uh, talk show for one year in in daytime and all the bookers and everything, if we had a really good segment, because you got a show coming out, you got to churn a show out every day. If they had a good booking and the people were well-versed and whether they did a good act, sang a great song, told a great story, I'd always go up to the segment producer and go, that's good, man, that's good. Bring me another one of those. Give me, I just need those moments. I need that time. So they're the heroes. So I kind of understand why a guy would say, no, Johnny's never gonna like that. And they're gonna go, what the is that? As it turns out, Joan Rivers was guest hosting a lot at the time. Not only was she guest hosting, her ratings were going through the roof. That's when Joan Rivers became a superstar, when she was filling in for Johnny. So mm-hmm. much so that when Fox decided to launch their own network, they gave her her own talk show. She launched Fox's Late right. Night, I remember. and that became she became the enemy of Johnny right. because he went up against Johnny. But this is while she was going. She lived in New York. On the weeks that she would come out and guest host The Tonight Show, um, she would come to LA, And work out her monologues at the comedy store. I knew that she was coming out this next night. This is in 19, I think, 84. She was coming out one week to work out her monologues. And I asked Mitzi, Mitzi Shore, who owned the comedy store. Polly's mom. Polly's mom. um, Is there any way you can, you know that she's coming and she's working out her set at nine o'clock on Thursday for the Friday show is, can you put me on like at uh, 8.50, the 10 minutes before her? And Mitzi was a great supporter of mine and she said, absolutely, I'll do that. So this was my my little last ditch effort to try to get on the Tonight Show. I go, listen, I've gone through the normal channels. Maybe I'll never do the Johnny Carson show, but these are bigger ratings. Maybe I can get on with Joan. And maybe if Joan sees me, she pulls a little weight there and she'll say, I'll have this comic that I saw. And I'll go on before and that day comes, and I wake up in the morning with a hundred and four fever. And um, that day, and I, figure, F- the one day I'm, I want to have this shot. I'm sick, and I lie there all day. I'm not going to cancel. I'm not going to cancel. And I'm lying there all day. And anybody who's anybody who knows when you have a fever and you're sick, I mean, it's the room was spinning, and I had no energy, and I was just so sick and I felt like I was gonna die and I had the flu but I figured this is my one shot I drove I live in the valley in the San Fernando Valley and I drove through the the canyon to get to Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood I'm gonna do this set no matter what listen worst case scenario it's exactly the same as where I am now I'm not gonna be any further back except that I may die on my way over because I can't (laughs) even focus on driving I'm, I'm I've got this high fever I get to Sunset and uh I'm just sitting in back, I'm waiting, I'm gonna go on. And Joan Rivers comes in the room and she's talking to Mitzi and I'm going on and then she's gonna follow me. And they say, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And at that moment, and this was what drove me, my comedy is much different today than it was then, but that fear and that adrenaline, that kind of adrenaline you get when you're on a roller coaster and you're just going over that first hill and you just want to scream. They went, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And then all the ill effects of having a (laughs) fever and being the flu kind of went by the wayside. And I had full-on adrenaline. And I did my act. And I put my glove on my head. And the people were screaming and roaring. And then I go, ladies and gentlemen, next, Joan Rivers. And as I'm walking off the stage, she passes me shoulder to shoulder. And she goes, you're a very funny young man. And I go, thank you. And then she goes on stage and I go around and I'm going to wait for her to get off to see if we can, you know, if, if maybe I can move this further along. And I hear the crowds going fucking nuts, you know, at, uh, at, at this is a time when, you know, just for being on TV, let alone being the star she was, people would go crazy. They'd go crazy for anybody that was on TV. And uh, I just hear the roaring and the screaming and the, it's just amazing. And she just obliterates the room. She finishes. I wait out just outside the room. There's these stairs that go down to sunset Boulevard, the, 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 the world famous comedy club. And I'm waiting for her. She finishes and she says, good night. And I, and then I guess she started when she left the stage, she was talking to some of the comics in the back and then Mitzi stopped her and Mitzi's talking to her. And then, you know, the, the effects of the flu are coming back. My adrenaline is wearing down. What's that? I don't know. Oh, that's my watch. Oh. <laughs> and as like my watch it's, is talking to me, it's Joan calling from beyond the grave. <laughs> yes. So and then I'm and then I'm I, I can't even stand up anymore. So now I'm sitting on the stair, and now i I'm, I'm getting dizzy, and I'm like leaning against the wall and just like <laughs> melting onto the stairs. And she talked to Mitzi. She talked to Gary Shandling. She talked to everybody that was in that room. She probably spent an hour and a half after her set in that room. And I'm lying, sweating, half dead on the stairs leading out to Sunset Boulevard, but I wasn't going to leave. I go, this is my chance. This is my chance. And she came out that little curtain and she came to the stairs and I'm lying on the stairs. I went, hi, (laughs) barely hi from the stairs. She goes, you were very funny. I go, thank you. Thank you. And she says, have you ever been on The Tonight Show? She just said it to me. And I went, well, my birthday's coming up no and she said call this number and it heard, i'll never forget it's billy sameth which is if you ever saw her documentary that's the guy that left in the middle. oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah he's her
3: he I he was her that. manager so uh i called the next day and he asked me to come on that week so i went on and i had a set with her just sit down but it's still stand up because that's how i do my act you know it doesn't matter it was like right. talking And it was great. And I thought, oh my God, like I did The Tonight Show. And now, if nothing else, when somebody says, have you ever done the Johnny Carson show? I'm still going to say yes. Yeah, I'm not going to say Johnny wasn't there. But that was exciting and it was good and I did well. The next day, the next day after it airs, um, Jim McCauley, that guy, that booker, calls and said, you know, Johnny watched the show last night and he loved you. Can you do it next week with him? Jeez. And that's what I said. (laughs) So, this is amazing. So, uh, I, yeah, I got right. I said yes. And they were so, he was, um, Jim McCauley, so controlling. I don't know if people understand talk shows, but on talk shows, the talk is planned, mm-hmm. you know, and unlike what we're doing right, right. now. I didn't have any idea what you're going to ask me. But, right. you know, because these are segments that are six minute segments, I'm going to get one segment. Three and they go, what are the questions that'll lead you into your jokes? And, you know, I would say, ask me this or, you know, I want to pull the rubber glove on my head or, yeah, how do you do that? What's the thing I heard about the glove? And then I'll put the glove on my head and that'll take a minute and they time it and they know what the last joke is so that the band plays and we'll be back with more after this. So um, I went through stuff and he was very, very, very controlling and very worried about what I will do. So I went on. And then I did this, I had an idea to do this one thing, which I didn't, I didn't tell Jim McCauley. And it was really scary, but I figured I've done it. I'll be on. If they never ask me on again, I just think this is funny. And I know that if I go over this and tell Jim McCauley what I want to do, he's going to say no and you'll hear why. So I brought out, I did a bunch of shit and it's on youtube you could see it and i and and i i brought out these 3d glasses like the, that you get at the movies yeah. you know these 3d glasses and i go do you, do you like 3d do you like 3d and johnny goes yeah and i could see jim McCauley just off the the uh, side going i didn't i, I don't know what the f- he's <laughs> talking about i didn't he didn't ask that and i go johnny put these on put these on and he puts on the 3D glasses and I took, I reached into my bag and, and I had a, um, a little stuffed animal and I whipped it at his face. And I said, doesn't it look like it's coming right at you <laughs> with a Canadian accent? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> eh? sorry. But, but I, but I, uh, you know, I knew that I want to put him in 3D glasses and throw something at his face. I know for a fact that if I would tell his employee right. who lives in terror of him, he go do anything else don't ask him to wear something and don't throw something at my boss's face right but i just thought i'm on yeah it doesn't matter i've done it i've done it and if i do it a second time is that going to help my career i just have to do it so this will either go into the toilet or it'll be signature of who i want to brand myself as this crazy silly yeah out of control guy so I just remember, like my hand was shaking when I grabbed the, the stuffed animal and I whipped it at his face. And it seemed like an eternity when you watch it and you can watch it on, on YouTube. It's not. It's like right away. He broke out laughing so hard. He went back in the seat. I thought he was going to fall <laughs> off his seat. He loved it. And from that moment on, Jim McCauley said, thank you so much. Anytime you want to be on. And I ended up doing it with Johnny 22 times Wow, with Johnny. Until he asked me to never come back again. <laughs> and that's also another story. That, oh, wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, I became a favored guest of the Tonight Show, which changed my life thanks to Joan. Sure. I was doing a movie in Culver City at, the, uh, at some studio in Culver City. And I got a call from Jim McCauley. He said, you got to come in this afternoon and do the show. This is like at a, a, like noon, and you have to be there at 3 o'clock to go tape the show. I go, mm. why? Well, I, I don't have it. It's still even after that, he had to go over everything. Don't do that to me again. You know, yeah, don't yeah, do, yeah, you yeah. gotta, you, you're coming back. He loves you, but the, you gotta go over things with me. So I said, okay, I'll, you know, from now on, that was just my, yeah. so. They called me at noon. They said you got to come in this afternoon, and I said I, I I don't have anything to be totally honest with you. I don't have any. And as it turned out, Sammy Davis Jr. was going to be the lead guest, and that is the day that he got diagnosed with cancer and canceled the show. And they didn't have a lead guest, and they found that out like two hours before the taping. So I was always kind of a slam dunk and an easy, I, an easy first guest. I was on St. Elsewhere at the time, right. which is a, an NBC dramatic show with Denzel Washington Mm -hmm. and that, so it was a big hit, it was a big hit. So he can call me and I'll be funny and entertaining, and he he calls me and I go, but I don't have anything. I don't, I swear, I don't, I'm in the middle of doing a movie and I I don't, I can't even think of things to do, to go over with you. He goes, Howie, I'm gonna trust you this time. Whatever you do, you do. I go, this is a favor, you know, because I don't know, but here's what you gotta do, just, go with me, go with me, whatever happens, happens. He says, yes, I hang up the phone, I'm terrified. Cause I got nothing, I'm yeah. about, this is the biggest show in the world. If there's one show everybody watches, is Johnny Carson at night. There's only one late night show. So, and this is before Joan took over at Fox and before Letterman went to CBS. This is the one network, if you're gonna watch late night TV, it's the only show. That's the one. That's the only show. So I'm on this Culver City lot and I walk into the, I, I, I go into the um, prop department and I walk into the prop department. It's the Culver City Studios, which <laughs> is where they did Gone with the Wind. Tara is uh, is there. I go in and the first thing I see is this um, 30 foot saber toothed tiger, fake saber tooth tiger. And uh, I go, how much would, uh, the, the, for the guy standing there, how much would you charge me to, put this on a dolly and ship it like in an hour over to Burbank studios in Hollywood. He goes, it's 500 bucks. I go, you got it. I wrote a check for 500 bucks. And as I'm turning around, there's a giant carrot on a shelf. (laughs) So I said, could you tie that on the back of it? And he goes, why? And I go, I don't know. (laughs) So he ties the carrot on the back of it. And I called Jim and I said, I'll be there a little early. I, I have deliveries coming. I don't know what I'm doing with them don't ask just accept the deliveries and they're coming in with me and have them set backstage so on that show they said I'm going to do segment 1 and segment 2 the two segments in the like he does the monologue they come back and they do a desk bit and then the first guest does two segments so i come there and he goes ladies and gentlemen a favorite for you know him from st elsewhere and stand up comedy and ladies and gentlemen howie mandel and the guy pages the curtain open, and I come out, I wave, the audience is going a little nuts, they're, like, they're told to, not because they're excited to see me, <laughs> but they're told to, they're, they're at a TV show, and I drag out on a dolly this giant saber-toothed tiger with a carrot tied on its back, and I pull it out toward the, the set, and I get to the set, to where Johnny's desk is, and Johnny's desk is on a riser, and when I get to the riser, I try to lift the the saber tooth the the dolly so the paws go up on the riser, but they don't they don't really. And Ed is sitting there, so I said, "Ed, could you give me a hand?" And Ed walks over. By this time, the applause has died down; and it's kind of really quiet. And we lift the paws up onto the desk, and but that's not enough for me. I go over behind it to try to push it up on the thing. And Doc Severinsen, who is the band leader, is standing there. I said, Doc, could you give us a hand? And he pushes it. And now the this giant saber-toothed tiger and, with a carrot tied on its back is pushed up in front of the desk. I can hear in the headsets of the camera people and all the people on the floor, I hear the uh, <laughs> director yelling, what the fuck? I blocked Johnny. You can't see Johnny <laughs> from any camera. And they go up on the, I hear them like he's readjusting. They'd never move the camera angles on any <laughs> yeah, talk right. show, right? So now they have to shoot down on Johnny. And 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 then after what seems like an eternity, I'm sweating. The, it's been silent. There's no good shot of Johnny. I sit down and he's just tapping his pencil like he always did. He's yeah. tapping his pencil and it's just quiet. And he goes, okay, okay, so what is this? And I said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. For you and for me and for maybe some people that are watching, but not for a guy who shows up every day. Really? And I, I committed to that. I wouldn't. Yeah, he goes, really? I go, yep. And then he had to come up. He doesn't have any questions because there's nothing prepared. You know, He asked me a couple of other questions. I answered them. He was not happy oh. uh, because it just made his job hard. He's, right. a, he's a guy who shows up every day. He doesn't need this kind of aggravation in his life. <laughs> and and uh, he asked me a couple of questions. I did a couple of bits. They, I, I could see that they truncated it when they aired it. And I know I was supposed to do two segments, but at the end of one short segment, he says, we'll be right back with Connie Stevens. Y- you know, whoever was next is coming up and going to do two se- He didn't say a word to me. Nobody did. They moved the saber tooth tiger out of the way. Like if you watch the show, it would seem like a f- kind of uh, an adorable, funny little segment right. where how he came out, you wouldn't know there was trouble. And then uh, Jim calls me right after the show and says he never wants to see you again. But they liked me and I did the show with Gary Shanling, and I did it more times when David Brenner hosted it, oh. and I did it when, when uh, Joan hosted, but never again with Johnny. Wow. Never again with Johnny. So I was wow. banned.
1: For, for, for life what a story do you want a beautiful lawn enter true green the easiest way to get a great lawn just water and mow and they'll do the rest weed control fertilization aeration and more true green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the pga tour and they have a verified best price which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality you do you let true green do your lawn care visit truegreen.com T R U G R E E N dot com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed.
2: The time is starting to wind down here. It's been an amazing conversation, but I wanted to ask just just uh, I know before Deal or No Deal became a huge hit that there was a time when when you were thinking about leaving show business, which right surpri- at that time, which surprises me because you had such a. Huge run of you mentioned all the stand up and the St. Elsewhere and the, the, the voices that you did, and the cartoons and the talk shows. What led you to the point of saying maybe it was time to walk away?
3: Well, so all these stories that I've been telling you about, like I launched in the late 70s, early 80s. And, uh, you know, off of my young comedian special, that exploded me into the stand up scene. I was on a young comedian special, which was an HBO special with the young kids, it Was it was me, Jerry Seinfeld. Richard Lewis, and I can't remember, Harry Anderson. And it was hosted by the Smothers Brothers. And then I was playing like 10,000 seats, 12,000 seats. Huge. Yeah, and then I got St. Elsewhere, which began BC series. And I did Bobby's World, and I did Gremlins. Those were all in the 80s and the 90s. And then I did my talk show at the end of the 90s. This is 2005. At 2005, I wasn't selling out a comedy club. Mm. I wasn't selling like 200, 300 tickets. I wasn't selling much. And I wasn't getting calls for acting. I was going in and auditioning for five lines and under. Mm. And I did a pilot, which I wrote, and it got noted to death and canceled and didn't get picked up. And I just said, listen, we I had a run. And it's a really good run. It's not a sad story. I had a, a, an incredibly good run and i as you know as we sit here i have other interests i'm interested in real estate and developing and technology i'm going to do that and do more behind the scenes things at that moment i get a call from another canadian my manager michael Romberg, who owns a company called three arts nbc called and they want you to do a, a game show and i went no and i hung up the phone and you have to <laughs> uh, you if you put it in the context of 2005 and 2004 At that time, no stand-ups did... Game shows i wasn't interested in game shows but even more importantly it's like movie stars didn't do commercials right you know people who uh do funny things you know the the game show host was the punchline. you know what i mean not that we're making fun of the game shows but what is a game no. show host right he reads a, a question off the card and goes correct you know like uh, you'd make fun of the game show host you would talk like this <laughs> with the horse, a yeah with, microphone yes that's what you would do i don't want to be a game show host and I, listen my career is over anyway i don't need to put a nail in the coffin of my career <laughs> So <laughs> no, and then he calls me back and he goes, "Well, NBC says they can't do it without you, and not only that, they want to do it in prime time. It's not a daytime talk show, uh, a game show. In prime time, five nights in in pri- in prime. It's crazy." I said, "So, not only do they want to put a, n- a nail in the coffin of my career, but they want to make sure that the world sees the nail in the coffin. No way." Third time, he calls me back and he goes, listen, they said they can't do it without you. Apparently, this is a a format that is a huge format and it's huge all over the world. And America is the last one to get on board. So will you just listen to the pitch? They want to pitch you. I go, I'm not going to come in for the pitch, but if they want to come, I'm in a deli in the valley eating soup. I'm at Jerry's deli. If the guy wants to show up here, I'll stay here for an hour. If he wants to show up here at the deli, fine. And Rob Smith from Endemol shows up at the deli. He moves my soup, <laughs> and he puts down this card. I'll show you the card. The card's in the building. It doesn't look like a an eight year old did a, a project. He didn't go to Kinko. He didn't. He did. They spent no money on this. He's got this little thing that he did with a ruler. He he cut, He lined it into twenty six spaces. Cut out these little squares that he said were suitcases. I didn't know what that meant, and and he had amounts on it. He said, "Pick one, and don't look at it. It's supposed to have the million dollars in it." And now the only way you find out if you have the million is by turning over the other ones. And there's no trivia questions. There's no skill. And now I think for sure I'm being punked. This is punk. <laughs> I'm unpunked, because this is not a game. That's right. <laughs> this is nothing. And anyway, I went home. And my wife said, they they really want you. Why don't you do it? And I I guess I was miserable. She goes, just do the fucking show. So this is the first time I said no to something, which was wrong. Right. right? But I said, I I won't say no to my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also wrong. uh, Yes, right. (laughs) So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I called them back. This is on a Friday. And I said, okay, I'll do the show. And they said, thank God, we couldn't do it without you. And I said, when are you taping? They go, Monday. (laughs) I go, wait a minute. What about building the set? They go, it's built. build. Well, what about the 26 models? They've been hired. How down the list was I? How many other people <laughs> said no before they got me? And I did the show. I was so embarrassed because there's no game, just opening up. Uh, and, and I flew to, out to the Caribbean to some, uh, one of the islands that didn't have TV or like, I didn't oh, want to know. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to see anybody. And the guy calls me on the first day it airs and he goes, you're not going to believe it. It went through the roof. I go, are you? kidding me and the next day more and the next day more and by friday 100 million people had seen it and it was the biggest and then i flew back and i landed in miami and when i got off the plane within 30 seconds the first guy who laid eyes on me went deal or no deal i had a catchphrase it's the biggest success i've had it changed my life they gave me a development deal i started developing other shows and i still do and that's why i have this building studio right here yeah. this studio right here deal or no deal changed my life
2: Unbelievable, because the point where they even had a video game for it. We go to this place every year and Dave Fort- and Buster's. It's called Fortune Bay up in northern Minnesota. Yeah, and they have a little arcade. I used to take my kids. They play the games, and the one game that I played every time was the Deal or No Deal video game. I
3: have it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have it. Here.
2: I mean, how many of those? How many game shows get their own video game?
3: Well, that's the beauty. I, yeah. we, it gave me my. You know, up until then, my my fans, if I had any, were very segmented. There are people that know me from stand-up that didn't know I was the same guy that was on St. Elsewhere. There's people that know me from Bobby's World that didn't that watch Saturday morning that didn't know I was the same guy that did stand-up. Mm-hmm. Or did, there's people that watch Gremlins that didn't know it's me. I had a voice career. And Deal or No Deal brought all those people together because you know, I would talk about it on on the air. And uh, that's been the biggest success to date. Sure, had. Right. And that's why I'm on AGT today, and that's why I do. But Deal or No Deal, which is being relaunched by NBC, by the way, really? Yeah, we're doing something called Deal or No Deal Island. Oh, I don't know yet, and can't speak of what it is. But it was just announced at this year's upfronts about a week ago.
2: Well, dude, it's been great talking to you. I got one more question for you. You mentioned all the huge successes that you've had, and your career has been expansive for forty years. What's the one performance or the one show uh, that you've done that you feel is the most underrated? Something that you did in a movie, a part in a movie, one of your shows. Something that you feel like
3: should have done better. I don't know. You know, I don't think of. See, for me, anything I do, I don't give a shit about even people seeing it or getting (laughs) accolades for it. I love just showing up and doing it. And whether it was an episode of the outer limits, which Mm. was a very serious, I played a, a, a mentally challenged serial killer. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. To playing, uh, Mix of Pitlick, are you a Superman fan? Yeah, the, the
2: weird guy from the other
3: dimension. I was, I, that's I was that character on uh, Smallville, on, or no, on with, with the one with Dean Cain and Oh, Terry. so
2: yeah, yeah, the, the Superman, I
3: think. Yeah, what Superman, Lois, uh, what, Lois wait, and, uh, and Superman. I don't know what it was. Dean Cain and yeah, Terry. So I did those. I don't people know, and I love acting. I love stand up. Always is my first love, mm. and I think that people even now they go, I used to like you in the stand up days. But the, I do stand up now. I just don't do it on TV so right, much go anymore. Right, you on the road. I'm on the road. I'm constantly doing, you know, the, COVID kind of shut me down. I was doing 200 live dates a year. Wow. Now, I, you know, in the last three years, I don't think I've done 30. Hmm. So, but I'm back at it. And Can you I'm, go
2: back out again more on a fuller schedule now?
3: Yes, I yeah. will. It's just that between AGT, Canada's Got Talent yep. and other things that I'm doing and, and my podcast and other things I haven't had time, but I, uh, and I wish more people knew about, uh, you know, JFL, just for laughs. The Canadian comedy festival. It's a Canadian comedy, but that's, that launched Chappelle and Kevin Hart and Tim Allen and Roseanne Barr and everybody who's anybody, Canada has been the hotbed of launching all that. Right, for many years. Right, the so same. I just, I, I, I invested in that. And that is growing. Like now we're in Austin, we're partners with Moon Tower, and we're in Vancouver and uh, London. We just had our first festival in London headlined by, uh, what's his name, uh, Ryan Reynolds and mm. Ricky Gervais. And so we're becoming worldwide. So those are the kind of things that I hope that people start to recognize.
2: When you do stand up now, what's your material based on?
3: What's ever happening in the moment and not news. Mm. What's ever happening in the moment that, you know, I look at it like a giant party and I'm just trying to be the center of attention. So (laughs) I show up and obviously after 45 years, I have a plethora of material. I'm constantly writing material and, and uh, you know, but if, if I can be taken off that beaten path, if something happens in the room, a technical problem or somebody Mm. shows up or makes a noise or does things, those kind of that path, leads me to a a funnier more unique original one-time only spot i like improvising
2: well that's what we did today howie and i'll tell you what we're not going to forget this uh appearance on talk is jericho this one we're going to remember
3: at least for the next 10 minutes (laughs) for a little while
2: yeah (laughs) thanks buddy thanks man i appreciate it okay